Nehemiah chapter 33, verses 7 through 11. Jeremiah 33, beginning verse 7. This is God's inspired, inerrant, authoritative word. I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they were at first. I will cleanse them from all the guilt of their sin against me, and I will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth, who shall hear of all the good that I do to them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, I want to ask that as your word goes forth this morning, you will send your Holy Spirit. And may he give us an understanding of what it means to fear the Lord. And I also pray that the Holy Spirit will impart to us a delight in fearing the Lord, the same delight that Jesus himself had. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. This last week I was working out at the health club and I, I noticed a caption on, on one of the TVs and it said, experts say exercising can cause strokes in people with clogged arteries. And I thought, here I am, risking my life. I hope I don't have any clogged arteries. And then another caption came up on the TV, and it say, experts say, and by the way, don't you wonder who these experts are? But, but anyways, experts, whoever they are, experts say everyone should be checked for symptoms of anxiety and depression. And I thought, I would like some of these experts to see if anybody doesn't have symptoms of anxiety or depression. Now, I know this is just one man's perspective, so take it for what it's worth. But I think that in my lifetime, we have never been more fearful than we are right now. Um, I think we are people who are characterized by fear. You name it, somebody is probably afraid of it. Let me just give you a sample list of all the many different phobias we could go through. Of course, there's arachnophobia. You probably are familiar with that, the fear of spiders. Ergophobia, fear of work. Decidophobia, fear of making decisions. Any of you have that? Can't decide, okay. <laughs> uh, this is a long one. It's hard to pronounce, but it's kind of fun. Arachubutarophobia. That is the fear of peanut butter sticking to the roof of your mouth. <laughs> I have that one. And then there's uh, glossophobia, fear of public speaking. 77% of people have that. And then this is probably a newer one, nomophobia, and that is fear of being without your iPhone. Now, some of these phobias cause us to laugh and chuckle a little bit. But if we're honest, some of them cause us to cry and maybe cringe. How about fear of finances? How about fear of our deteriorating 
health. We had a long list of health concerns this morning. Or maybe if you're a person who lives by themselves, maybe the fear of loneliness. Maybe you're a recent graduate from high school or college and you have fear of the future, the next step in your education or your, your career. Everybody is afraid of something. Fear is an inescapable category, which means it's not a matter of whether or not you will be afraid. It's a question of what you will be afraid of. Simply put, everybody is afraid of something. And one of the answers to these various phobias is actually another phobia. But it's not a phobia that you're going to place on top of your already existing phobias. Rather, this is a phobia that will swallow up and destroy all your other phobias, all your other fears. And the phobia I am talking about is being theophobic or being afraid of God. The fear of God will drive out all your other fears. This is what we read in Isaiah 8, 11 to 13. For the Lord spoke thus to me with his strong hand upon me and warned me not to walk in the way of this people saying, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy and do not fear what they fear nor be in dread but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. When God is the one that you fear, you will not fear all those other things that the rest of people fear. The fear of the Lord will swallow up all those other fears. So if you want to live a fearless life, paradoxically, the answer is found in the fear of God. Amen? Amen. All right, let's close in prayer. No, uh, it should be that simple. However, when it comes to the fear of the Lord, we need a little clarification. And if you were here last week, we talked about the fear of the Lord during our time of confession. And I thought, this really needs to be a sermon. And here is the sermon this morning. And the reason for that is because this is a big subject. There are over 150 references to the fear of God or the fear of the Lord in the Bible. This is not just a small subject. This is a major topic in the Bible. And if you were here last week, I mentioned that right at the end of Ecclesiastes, in chapter 12, verse 13, Solomon says, all has been heard, the end of the matter, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And if fearing God is the whole duty of man, then we need to make sure that we understand what we're talking about when we talk about the fear of of the Lord, and I think we need a little help. So what I want to do this morning is give you three clarifications so you have a clear understanding of what this fear of the Lord is, and then I'll mention how it can impact our lives and then how we can cultivate this biblical fear. 
So here's the first clarification if you're taking notes. Fearing God is not the same as being afraid of God. Fearing God is not the same as being afraid of God. Now there's a fine line here because it's very close, but the distinction is crucial and it is biblical. So this is what we read in Exodus 20, beginning at verse 18. And this is immediately following after Moses is given the Ten Commandments on, on Mount Sinai. And then we read, Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning, and that's because the presence of God descended on top of the mountain, and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, You speak to us, and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us, lest we die. Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Some translations say, Do not be afraid. For God has come to test you, that the fear of him may be before you, that you may not sin. Now you might think Moses is playing some kind of semantics word game. Do not fear, but fear God. And the distinction he is making, do not be afraid, but a healthy fear of the Lord will keep you from sinning. So here's what I want you to understand. Some fear of God can be sinful. And when it causes you to be afraid of God, it has crossed that line. God wants us to fear him. He wants us to tremble before him. But he does not want us to be afraid of him. Let me give you two examples of being afraid of God. The first is James 2.19, speaking of the demons. It says, even the demons believe and shudder. The demons fear God. They tremble before God. They shudder before God. But this is a kind of fear of God that the enemies have because they're afraid of God. And then in Genesis 3, uh, 8, beginning at verse 10, you may recall that Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that they were not to eat of. And then we read, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. If your fear of God causes you to flee from God, then again, you've crossed that line and you're afraid of God. And that is not the fear of the Lord that the Bible is telling us to have. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they feared God, but it was not a healthy biblical sin because they were hiding from God. And a Christian should not have that kind of fear. And when we talk about the fear of the Lord, a verse that comes to mind, and it's a good one. 1 John 4.18 There is no fear in love, for perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, 
And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Demons tremble because they know that judgment and hell await them. The enemies of God fear because they know that judgment awaits them. But if you're a Christian, does judgment await you? Judgment has already taken place on your behalf, and it came upon Christ at the cross so that you have no fear of punishment, no fear of judgment in the presence of God. So you do not have that kind of fear as a Christian. You have been perfected in love. The love of God for you at the cross, which you enjoy through repentance and faith in Christ. So here's one test to see whether or not you have an appropriate kind of fear. When you sin, do you run to God? Would you run away from God? I think it's a good question. When you sin, and you know you sinned, and you know, as we mentioned this morning, there's no excuses. You, you can't blame your wife. You can't blame your husband. You can't blame the devil. You can't bl blame the circumstances that surround you. You know it's your fault. Do you run to God, or do you run away from God? If you have a healthy fear of the Lord, you run to him, you fall before him, trembling, asking for forgiveness because you know that he will forgive you. That's a healthy fear. I love Hosea uh, 3.5. This talks about the new covenant. Afterward, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king. And that's a reference to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the latter days. That's the healthy fear. You fear God, so you come to him and you seek him. That's, that's the fear of the Lord that we want to have, a fear that causes us to run to God and not away from God. So number one, fearing God is not the same as being afraid of God. Number two, Fearing God is not just about his righteous judgment. It is also related to his goodness and mercy and grace. In other words, we should fear the entirety of God's being. And, and I think that probably right here, we have the missing puzzle piece when it comes to a proper understanding of fearing God. And I think that was, that was true for me. So we, we often think we should fear God because he's holy, he's righteous, and he judges sin. But we fail to see that we should also tremble before God because he is so merciful and so good and so generous and so gracious to us. That should all cause us to have a healthy fear before him. And I think we often don't have that because if I, if I was to ask you, Name an attribute that causes you to fear God. I bet most of you would probably say something like, well, his holiness. Or maybe you, you might say the fact that he, is, that he is righteous. But when I ask you to list an attribute that causes you to fear God, how many of you say his goodness causes me to tremble before, before him? But that's... 
that's important because if, if you don't have that understanding, if you just fear God for his, for his judgment, you will, you will run from him. Now let's return to our, uh, our scripture reading. Jeremiah 33, 9, or excuse me, 7 through 9. And notice why the people fear God. Verse 7, I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel. That's good news. And rebuild them as they were at first. More good news. I will cleanse them from the guilt of their sin against me and will forgive all the guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. Good news on top of good news. And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble. Why? Because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. This passage right here, it's all positive. It's all good. It's all a blessing. And what provokes this fear in this passage? It is the overwhelming goodness of God. A fear and a trembling that can't believe that God is this good to his people. And I think that is an understanding of the fear of the Lord that most of us don't have. When we think of the fear of the Lord, we just think of the negative side of God, or perhaps what we call the dark side. We don't think of the blessing of God and the goodness of God. We don't bring it all together, and it's important to bring it together. Otherwise, our fear of God will cause us to run from God, maybe even hate God. Before Martin Luther was converted, he was asked on one occasion if he loved God, and he said, love God. Sometimes I hate him. And that's because he only saw God as a righteous holy judge and he had to appease with his good works and he knew that he could never attain to that standard so he feared God but it wasn't a healthy fear he was afraid of God he didn't love God because he didn't understand the goodness of God yet until his conversion and it's important to have this balanced understanding of the fear of the Lord otherwise it's going it's going to be lopsided and an unhealthy fear will cause you not to serve God there's one example in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. In, the, in this parable, one man is given five talents, another man is given two, and another man one. And then the master goes away on, on a long journey, and then, then he comes back, and he's going to reckon with them what they did with his talents. And he comes to the one who was given five talents, and he tells the master, you gave me five talents? I made five talents more. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And then he goes to the one who was given two talents. And he, and he says, you gave me two talents. I gained two talents more. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. And then he comes to the one who received one talent. And, and this is what he says. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you, where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid was afraid of the master and I went and hid your talent in the ground here you have what is yours but his master answered him you wicked slothful servants you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scatter no seed 
then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. So an unhealthy fear of the master paralyzed him. And he did nothing with the gifts, the abilities, and the money that was given to him. So here's another good question to test to see whether or not your fear is a healthy biblical fear. Are you, are you afraid of messing up when you, when you serve God? If you're afraid of God, you're, you're afraid you're going to make a mistake, and that will paralyze you. And this, this servant was paralyzed instead of enjoying healthy service. And also notice, this, this servant didn't understand the generosity of God. All the other servants were rewarded. Specifically, what the master said was, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. The one who was given one talent didn't understand that his his master is generous, and he's happy to reward those who faithfully serve him. Do you know that God wants to reward you? I mentioned this before, but I can still remember when I was in seminary, and there was actually some debate in class about whether or not we should work for rewards. And I, and I was kind of puzzled because I thought, it's not like there's just one or two isolated verses that talk about rewards, but there's actually quite a few verses that talk about God rewarding those who are, who are faithful. And I remember thinking, of course it's okay to, to work for rewards, and, and you can work for rewards. But now I have a different opinion. Not only is it okay, not only can you work for rewards, but you should work for rewards. Hebrews 11.6, the, the faith chapter. The author says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. Not just a little difficult, not just hard, but impossible to please God. And then he goes on and he says, for everyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Unless you believe that God rewards those who seek him, you don't have a faith that pleases God. And as I look back on that discussion in class, I think one of the reasons why we struggled with working for rewards, and I'm not judging anyone's heart, I don't know, maybe it's just a misunderstanding of the Bible, but perhaps it was a lack of faith. And specifically, maybe it was a lack of faith in the goodness of God. Maybe the fact that he rewards those who serve him is just too good to be true. And some of the promises in the Bible, if you read them, they are just too good to be true. And maybe the problem is because they're too good to be true, we have trouble believing them. I love Malachi 3. Bring in the whole tithe and see if I don't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing upon you that you don't have room for it. If you believe that promise, you know what you do each week or whenever you write your tie check, you're like, yes. 
Amen. Because you serve a God who promises that he will reward. And maybe that's a good illustration because right there, do you believe those promises? And I'm afraid that sometimes we don't because we find it hard to believe that God is just that good. But he is. As a matter of fact, he is so good that that should cause us to fear and tremble. So the first thing we need to understand, fearing God is not just, excuse me, is not the same as being afraid of God. Fearing God is not just about his righteous judgment. It's also about his goodness. And number three, fearing God is not the opposite of loving God. Fearing God is not the opposite of loving God. They are not opposed to each other. In fact, I believe the more you love God, the more you fear God. And the more you fear God, the more you will love God. I even think even the great Jonathan Edwards didn't understand this. Jonathan Edwards believed that fearing God and loving God are like two motivations for living as he's calling us to live. And Jonathan Edwards said, whenever our our love for God kind of falls and gets cold, then we need the fear of God to kick in to keep us from sinning. So I think he understood that the fear of God was negative. You, you need that if your love for God isn't there because you need to know that there's consequences if you don't sin. He said, but if our love for God rises, then we don't need the fear of God. And it almost disappears because love is the greatest motivation for doing what God is calling us to do. So he, he saw them kind of two sides that God uses, but they're, they're not even. I think the picture is like this. They rise together and they fall together. There's a lot of overlap between loving God and fearing God. This is one of the reasons why the Bible can talk about loving God in one sentence and then two sentences later talk about fearing God. Just a couple of examples. So Deuteronomy 10:12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you? But to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your hearts and with all your soul. And then Psalm 145, 19 and 20. He fulfills the desire of those who fear him. He also hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him. Fear God, love God. Obviously, they're, they're not opposed to each other. It's not as though there's some Christians who, who love God and are motivated by love. And there's, there's other Christians who fear God, and they're motivated by this horrible fear of God. But actually, they go together. And I like what Spurgeon said. This is the sort of fear which has in it the very essence of love. And then Michael Reeves, which I think is very helpful on understanding the connection between the love of God and the fear of God, said, the closer we look, the closer fear of God and love of God appear. And I think he's right. They are very close. And then Michael Reeves says, one of, one of the problems which, between seeing the connection with love and fear 
is that we use the word love in such a, a flippant way in our culture, right? We, we say, I, I love ice cream, right? I, I love butterflies. And then we say, I love God, and it just doesn't quite go together, right? Michael Reeves uses this example. He says, think of these three loves, and, and they're all true. He said, I love my dog. Some of you can relate to that, right? I, I love my dog, and then I love and have real affection for my wife. And then I love and have real affection for my God. And while all those are true, when you put them side by side, you hope there's a difference, right? <laughs> you hope there's a difference between his love for his dog and his love for his wife. And you hope there's a difference between his love for his wife and his love for God. And what makes the difference? The difference is the object. It's, it's hard to say I love my dog and I love God in the, in the same breath. So my wife has this, this saying, and I've heard her say it so many times. She'll say something like, I don't know, maybe let's say we're out for ice cream, and she'll be like, ah, I love ice cream. And then she'll say, no, I, I love my husband and I love God. And, and the reason for that is because you can see it, it should only be preserved for things that are important. And interesting. I, I was talking to my friend Dave about this, and he has a friend that he works out with who's Hispanic, and he said in Spanish, and I don't know, I don't understand, so I could be corrected later, but he said, how, how do you say I, I love to exercise or work out in Spanish? And he said his friend from Mexico looked at him and like, what? You, you can't say that. You can say I like it, but you can't say I love it. And I think Michael Reeves is, is right. One of the reasons why we don't see the connection between love and fear is because we just love everything. You name it, we, we love it. When It would be wonderful if we could reserve that word love for that which is really significant, for that which is at the top of the list. Not just things that we like, but things that are really crucial. And then Reeves says this, and I, I think this nails the fear of God. He says, fearing God is a way of speaking about the intensity of our love for God. I think that's the heart of it right there. Fearing God is a way of speaking about the intensity of our love for God. So again, Ecclesiastes 12, 13. What's the whole duty of man? Fear God and keep his commandments. And, and last week I said, that kind of throws you for a loop. If Solomon had said, love God and keep his commandments, that's the whole duty of man, we would have said, yes, I'm on board with that. But when he says, fear God and keep his commandments, is the whole duty of man, that kind of throws us off. But what if what Solomon means by fear God is love God with an intense passionate love that rises above all other loves that you have, then it makes sense, doesn't it? When he says, fear God, he's talking about a passion for God, not that which is unfeeling or, or unmoved. And if you understand it that way, I think we can understand how love and, and fear go together. So just one more thought experiment. Think of a, a, a teacher or maybe a coach or an instructor, and, 
they they brought out the best in you. Maybe they really believed in you and were very helpful in teaching you or instructing you that maybe they saw your potential. When you had an opportunity to perform, how well did you want to do? Didn't you want to do really well for that teacher or instructor or, or coach? And the more you loved them, the more you feared not doing well. Not because you were going to be punished, not because they were going to be mad at you, but because the greater the love you had for them, the greater the fear, a healthy fear that you had of not living up to your potential that they knew that you had. So you can see how the love and the fear go together. And if your love for God is intense and passionate, you fear God. You want to serve him. You don't want to let him down. Not because he's going to punish you. You're not afraid of that. But just because you love him so much and you want to please him and you want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. I gave you these gifts and you used them. You employed them for my service. So fearing God is, is connected with, with loving God. That's not opposed to each other. So I think that clarification is in order to. When we have this healthy fear of God, that will drive out all other fears. That, that is a fear that swallows up all other fears because our, our eyes are fixed upon God, pleasing him, living for his, for his glory. And then when other fears come our way, they're put in their proper, proper place. As I was thinking about a person who had a healthy biblical fear of God, I, I thought once again of, of Polycarp. It's a, it's a wonderful story. In case you don't know, Polycarp was actually a disciple of the Apostle John. That's where he is in the time frame. And... The days came when he was going to be arrested and he was going to be executed for his faith in Christ. And he knew it was coming. And here's how the story goes. Three days before he was arrested, while he was praying, he had a vision of the pillow under his head in flames. He said prophetically to those who were with him, I will be burned alive. He took it as a prophecy from God of how he was going to die as a martyr. And then his arrest came. Story continues on. The police and horsemen came with the young men at supper time on the Friday with their usual weapons, as if coming out against a robber. That evening, they found Polycarp lying down in the upper room of a cottage. He could have escaped, but he refused, saying, God's will be done. When he heard that they had come, he went down and spoke with them. They were amazed at his age and steadfastness. And some of them said, why did we go to so much trouble to capture a man like this? Immediately he called for food and drink for them and asked for an hour to pray uninterrupted. They agreed, and he stood and prayed, so full of the grace of God that he could not stop for two hours. The men were astounded, and many of them regretted coming to arrest 
such a godly and venerable old man. And then it came time for his execution. As Polycarp was being taken into the arena, a voice came to him from heaven. Be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. No one saw who had spoken, but our brothers who were there heard the voice. When the crowd heard that Polycarp had been captured, there was an uproar. The pro-council asked him whether he was Polycarp. On hearing that he was, he tried to persuade him to apostatize, saying, Have respect for your old age. Swear by the fortune of Caesar. Repent and say, Down with the atheist. The Christians were called atheists because they only believed in one God instead of all the gods that the other people did. So they were called atheists. So he was admonished, say, down with the atheist. Polycarp looked grimly at the wicked heathen multitude in the stadium. And gesturing toward them, he said, down with the atheist. Swear, urge the pro-council, reproach Christ, and I will set you free. And then here's how Polycarp, Polycarp answered. And I think this is a great illustration of what it means to fear God. Eighty-six years. I have served him, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king and my savior? When you fear God, you will fear no man. You will fear no circumstances that may come against you. Jesus tells us to fight fear with fear. Luke 12, 4 and 5, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who can kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who after he has killed has authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. And when you fear him with a proper biblical fear, again, that will swallow up all your other fears and you will live a fearless life. So how can we cultivate this fear? Let me just give you one example. And if you were here last week, don't give away the answer for those who weren't here. Uh, I want to read from Psalm 130, verse 4. And I'm going to read the verse, and then I want you to fill in the blank. I want you to fill in what word you think would come at the end of this verse. Talking about God. But with you there is forgiveness that you may be what? With you there is forgiveness that you may be loved, praised, adored, that you may be feared. And and that kind of throws us off. And I, I can remember reading that in the past, and that just didn't make sense. I could not put that together there's forgiveness with God so because he's a gracious merciful and forgiving God I I should fear him and I couldn't understand it and that's because I only had a negative view of the fear of God I didn't see that fearing God also had this positive side fearing God and trembling because he's so good so kind so merciful so good so forgiving But now that I bring all that together, now it makes complete sense. Of course, fear God. 
because he's forgiving. The greatest example of his love and his goodness and his kindness is in the fact that he forgives. You want to understand God's love towards us? Look at the cross. Look at Jesus Christ dying for our sins. Look at what he did to accomplish our redemption so that we could be forgiven. And he says, just as the serpent was lifted up in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that whoever looks to him and believes will have everlasting life. And all you have to do is look in faith to Christ, and you will be forgiven. And we are. And because of that forgiveness, we so love God and are so thankful that our love for God actually rises to the level where we fear and we tremble. And this love for God and this fear of God will grow as we contemplate the cross and what he did for us there. And again, it's that healthy, balanced, biblical fear of the Lord that will help us to live fearlessly as we go through life and the trials and tragedies come our way. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your kindness, your love. We tremble that you are so good to us. Father, we thank you for your word that gives us a complete understanding of who you are. I pray that as we read your scriptures, you will continue to open our eyes to just how great you are. And Father, as we go into the, the upcoming week, Father, may we view all the circumstances that come our way in light of the great, glorious, awesome, fearful God that you are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.